people are looking for words of help and encouragement. A lot of people in the last few days have asked me, even a radio station called, want to know if I felt that we were on the verge of Armageddon, the world was coming to an end, if we were in the last days. Well, we may be. We may be. Nobody knows. If we are, what needs to be different? If we're not, what are our needs? They're the same. We're in the last days. We've been in the last days ever since Jesus rose from the dead. We may be in the last of the last days. What that really means is that the last word from God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the last living, visible, personal word you're going to get. And we're to respond to that. And for 2,000 years, that word of finality, of revelation from God has been expounded in the world. And so there will be an end of time and the beginning of eternity. When that will happen, no one knows. In spite of the fact that some preachers every now and then try to think they know. They don't know. In fact, Jesus said we were not to know. The disciples, we've always been like each other. We've always had the same hopes and needs and fears. And those early disciples asked Jesus in the first chapter of the book of Acts after his ministry, his death, his resurrection. He'd been with them now for many days and they knew he was alive and he was being prepared to ascend to the Father. They said, okay, is this it? Is this the end of time? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the beginning of utopia? Is this it? And Jesus said, fellas, that's not for you to know. That's not for you to know. I want to tell you not what you want to know, but what you're going to need to know to make a difference in this world. The big issue is not when I return, but when do you start? When do you begin carrying this message to the ends of the earth? He said, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear and what you need to know, and this is it. I'm going to give you power. Power in a friendless world. Power in a hating world. Power to make a loving difference in a fearful world. I'm going to give you power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you are to be something not just believe something and look for something and hope for something and wish for something you're to do something Christians are supposed to be people who do something you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and even to the uttermost part of the earth you'll find it written about in the first chapter of the book of Acts I just quoted the 8th verse Jesus words Buckner, you need power. You can't handle this business of living on your own. You don't have the strength to see the future. You can't do anything about the past. You can barely live in the present. You need power. You need a power beyond your own. You cannot contend with the temptations and the difficulties and the burdens and the fears. You can't handle it alone. I'm going to give you an internal power that will make you sufficient for all things. And your strength will be made full and complete by the admission of your weakness, that you can't do it alone. Do you feel that need in your own life today? My soul, I do. Lord, help me. 
or I sink along with Simon Peter walking on the water. Lord, hold us or we perish. We need your power, and it is your power that is so desperately needed in our world. Power to change the hearts and the lives of men. And it's been promised to us. I wonder if anybody is here consciously or unconsciously quoting the words of the poet who wrote, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all of my heartache and all of my woes could be dropped like a dirty old coat at the door and never be put on again. There is such a place, and that place is a person, and the person is the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus promised you. Who is the Holy Spirit? It is the Spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead. It is the Spirit of God who gave birth to this universe. It is the Spirit of Him who is veritable life. And He said, I'm going to put my Spirit within you because that's what you need. You need a new man in you. The old Adam that keeps rumbling around inside of you keeps fouling up your life and the lives of everybody around you. You need a new person in you, not just a new idea. You haven't lived up to the old one. Not just a new concept. You can't handle it. You need a new person. You need to be born of the Spirit. You were born of Adam when you came into this world. You need to be born of God by the Holy Spirit. You need a new person inside of you to take control of your life and to give you strength to contend with the old Adam that's still there, to put him down and to arm wrestle him into subjection so that you can be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who is in you, for it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And that glory doesn't mean just something that happens to you when you die. It means a power for you while you live right here, right now. That's your need. That's my need. That's our need. A new power, and that power comes with the transfusion of this person inside of us, this light coming to push out the darkness, this life coming to conquer death through his love and through his grace. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be something. You'll be people who look at the world in a different way. You'll change your perspective. You'll change your way of seeing. And that's one of the difficult things, I believe, in our time talking with people who are not Christians. We're all only Christians by the grace of God. That's the only way anybody's a Christian. But people who have not understood the grace of God, who have not understood that we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they may be very good people and very religious people. They may think that because you're an American, you're automatically a Christian. It's difficult to talk to people like that sometimes in terms of spiritual understanding and, and we need to understand the perspective of people who are not Christians just as we try to and need to get across to them though our way of seeing things. We, we do walk or should as believers in Christ. We should walk to a different drummer. We ought to live a different kind of life. There ought to be some graceful qualities about us because we have been filled with the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need new perspectives. Heard about a couple of Indians that came out of the movie. The movie marquee had up there, Custer's Last Stand. Custer's Last Stand. These two Indians were walking out of the movie, and they were smiling. And one of them turned to the other, and there above their heads, Custer's Last Stand. One of them turned to the other and said, 
Isn't it good every now and then to see a movie that has a happy ending? <laughs> it just depends on where you're coming from. You and I are coming from Jesus, or we should be. And as a result, we ought to see the world in a different way and see ourselves in a different way and see our responsibilities in a different way because we have seen the light through no merit of our own and through no moral accomplishments of our own or religious provisions of our own, but through God's grace, we see life and life. And so this new perspective gives us an attitude of prayer, or it should. As I said on Wednesday night, I tell you what, I've been praying. I've been praying for a miracle. I think it's right to pray for miracles. And sometimes miracles are instantaneous, and sometimes... As C.S. Lewis talks about, they're progressive. They take time. And they're no less a miracle because they take a year or five years or a hundred years than if they happen instantaneously. But we in America kind of hooked on instant solutions to everything. We want everything to be instant. Instant coffee, microwave solutions to problems, instant health, just go to the doctor and get a shot. Time frustrates us, but not God. And we, we want this war to end instantly. My soul, I do. I want it to stop right now. And God do whatever needs to be done to bring these hostilities to an end and bring people home. That's my prayer. But I've needed some help. And I've talked to the Lord about it, and he's working on me, and I'm moving now to pray. Now, God, if that's not what's going to happen, if there's not going to be an instant solution to this, if there's not, give me the grace and the faith to look for what you're doing in the midst of trouble because you have promised to be with us in trouble. That great 91st Psalm, he will be with you in trouble. And we're in trouble today. Some in this room in trouble in their own lives, their own hearts, their own relationship to God, their own family, maybe in trouble economically, maybe in trouble in your relationships at home, in trouble at work. We're all in, concerned about the trouble in the Middle East. God has promised to be there. He is a specialist in trouble, and he'll be right in the midst of yours to help you be a conquering child of God. Prayer. One of the things I've decided to do is not be hooked on television. I'm going I'm to replace prayer vision with television. We need to turn off the TV. If not turn it off, you need to start praying before you turn it on. Because what's happening to us is that we're looking at God through the problems rather than looking at the problems through God. Turn that thing off. We're addicted to it. And all it does is depress us. And so by the time we get to God, all we have to do is complain. We're frustrated. Start with God. Begin with God. In the morning, before you turn on CNN. Before you turn on C uh, CBS, NBC, ABC, I've all of them. <laughs> ESPN, whatever you want to look at. No preferential treatment. But give God preferential treatment. Turn on your prayer vision before you turn on your television. Marshall McLuhan, that's a social, social scientist and observer of our times, pointed out something that uh, impressed me. We have uh, what's called sensory impressions. That's what advertising is. It's just a sensory impression. It's something you see, something you hear, something you read that tries to get you to do something or buy something uh, or to go somewhere or something like that. It's a sensory impression. In your mind, you get one. Some social scientists analyzed our world, in the 20s, we received between 800 and 1,200 sensory impressions a day. 
In the 40s, we received between 1,600 and 2,400 sensory impressions a day. Those thoughts coming to our mind. In the 80s, because of the advent of modern advertising, we are now receiving between 21,000 and 28,000 sensory impressions a day. And they say that the human mind, the human system, can only assimilate approximately at the maximum 12,000 a day. We're overloaded. We're burning out. No wonder we've got a short fuse. No wonder we're running out of patience. Some of us need to let God cool us off. Uh, you know, and I'm an evangelist. I've done evangelism a lot of my life and always will. I keep trying to challenge people to get hot for God. Some of you need to get cool for God. You need to cool down and cool off and be still and know that He is God and we'll go back out to our task with a new power that we've not had before. We watch an average of seven and a half hours of television every day. That's the normal family, quote, unquote, normal. Can you imagine how many hours we're watching now with this war going on? Begin with God or it'll get us. It will corrode our spirits. It will blind our vision to what God is doing. We need to get God's viewpoint before we get somebody else's viewpoint about the world. Begin with God. And then also keep your good humor. Keep a sense of humor. New perspective will give us the concept of praise. We need to keep that foremost. Nehemiah reminds us the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you read 2 Kings, the 20th chapter, Zerubbabel was getting ready to go into battle with the children of Israel against the mighty armies. And he said through a prophet to Zerubbabel, listen, this battle is not yours but God's. And here's what you do. Send the choir first. Choir, do you feel like you're volunteering now? Get out there. You're the point man in this platoon of faith. Well, that's what happened. The choir got out there and they began to sing and to praise God and it confounded and disturbed the enemy and they began to slaughter one another and the people of God were delivered. Lead with praise. Begin with praise. Thank God for all that is happening in our lives and ask God to give us faith to see what He is doing, working all things together for good. All things are not good, my soul. All things are not good. Some things are horrible and bad, but God can take them and through the power of His Holy Spirit work things together for good to them that love God. Keep praise foremost in your life. Keep your sense of humor. You realize that you're the only creature God made that has a sense of humor? Human beings are only creatures that God made that have a sense of humor. Uh, we're the only ones who have the ability to laugh at ourselves. We're the only ones who have the capacity for objectivity. We see the contradictions in life, the paradoxes in life. We see the difference between what life is and what it ought to be. That's why we laugh and we see some pompous character slip on a banana peel. We need to see the sort of juxtaposition in life. We need to keep that. Nietzsche said a few good things. One thing he said was that the devil is the spirit of gravity. Heaviness. Seriousness. Reinhold Niebuhr said that our sin is basically taking ourselves too serious. Take what we do seriously and what we believe seriously 
but don't take ourselves too seriously. What Jesus is saying is forget yourself. Turn yourself over to me. I'll take care of you. Get yourself off your hands. Let me have it. Sense of humor, praise, joy. For Jesus said, my peace I give you. My joy I give you. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and the sound mind. Paul reminds us right in Timothy. And then, finally, to remind us that we're to be people with a purpose. We're to be people with a purpose. I don't believe that in the years I've been in the ministry, over 40 now, that I've lived in the time in which the opportunities were greater for the cause of Christ than right now. Why is that? Because all the false gods are dying. All the things that a lot of people put their faith in have crumbled about them. We have education that doesn't educate. We have science that started out as a great deliverer and has become a Frankensteinian monster. Economy collapsing. Less than a year ago, the wall came tumbling down in Berlin. One year ago today, Peter Kostya stood right here and talked about what was happening in Romania. It was a short-lived peace in the world, wasn't it? This is the greatest opportunity the church has ever had to present the gospel of the living Son of God to a disillusioned and hurting and frightened and searching world. And I tell you, if we fail in this hour, we will answer to Almighty God for our failure. In a war, you do not cut back on men or weapons. In an epidemic, you do not cut back on doctors and medicine. This is not a time for cutting back. This is not a time for holding on. This is not a time for business as usual. As Lloyd George said, no army can march on a retreating mind, nor can the kingdom of God. We have come to the kingdom for such an hour as this, and we need to be about God's business like we have never been about it before and we need to be going and sharing and giving and proclaiming and ministering like we never have before because this is a day of grand opportunity for the cause of Christ. God's always at his best when the world's at its worst. His brightness shines brighter in the darkness than it does at noonday. And it's dark in the world today, and it's a time for people to look to the light that is in Jesus Christ. Well, listen to me, please, for a moment. We need to know who our enemy is, us, the people of God, the enemy of the people of God. Let me put it this way. When we have peace in the Middle East, when the war with Iraq is over, when the war on poverty is won, when the war on disease is won, when the war on ignorance is won, when the war on the homeless is won, when the war on hungry is won, we'll still have our biggest battle to fight, and that is for the hearts of men. For a man can have a Ph.D. and live in a palace and be as lost as the devil himself. 
Our big job is to bring people to a personal saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that's our war and that's our task and that's our calling and that's our commitment. For without that, if something doesn't happen in the hearts of people, without Christ, all of our affluence and all of our weapons and all of our peace and all of our learning will be for naught. For in all likelihood, Christ may not be back today. He may not be back for 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. But I venture to say everybody in this room will be somewhere else 100 years from now. It is coming to an end. It's time to get ready for that trip. And we need more than just some outside cushion. We need some inside presence. God within us, the hope of glory. I've been to Hyde Park in London, probably many of you have, and stood there at Speaker's Corner, that place that for many, many years has been a spot that anybody could get up and speak on anything they wanted to except to overthrow the government. You can talk about it and criticize it. You can talk about anything in the world. And there'll be a person here and there, and they'll well, have a little crowd, and you walk around, you'll hear someone preaching, you'll hear somebody talking about politics, someone else talking about one subject or another. It's a fascinating place to go on Sunday afternoon. Speaker's Corner at Hyde Park. There was a socialistic artist standing up one day on a little box that people have there to stand on. And he was proclaiming the words of socialism, communism, what it could do for mankind. And he pointed out a man in the crowd there. It had on a dirty-looking, ragged coat, rather disheveled-looking individual. The speaker decided to use him for an example. He pointed to him and said, you see that man? Socialism can put a new coat on that man's back. And the Christian standing there in the crowd interrupted him for that protocol. You can interrupt anybody and ask them a question, carry on a debate, whatever you want to. The Christian interrupted him and said, okay, Socialism can put a new coat on that man's back. That's good. He needs it. I hope somebody does it. But Jesus Christ can put a new man in that coat. And that's better. You got a thousand new coats. If there's no new man inside that coat, all is vanity of vanity. So our job is to do what he told us to do. When he comes back, that's his business. History is his business. Our business is to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all things that he has commanded us until he comes back. For we are to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and we're to be witnesses unto him in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and our world. God help us to go. Will you come be a part of this? Come help us do that? There are no draftees in God's army. They're all volunteers. They volunteer to follow Christ. They volunteer to serve Christ. They volunteer to be a part of a company somewhere and be involved in training and preparation for our worldwide task. So I invite you to come this morning. Trust the Lord as your Savior. To come move your membership into the life of this church. To come join this branch of the cause of Christ. And to put your life here and put on the uniform of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to be right here to greet you and welcome you come right now. Just as I am, you come. Just as you are, enlist, sign up, volunteer, come. Let's sing.